All right, why don't we just kick us off. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity we have to uh, gather together today, Palm Sunday, to be inspired by your story being lived out through scriptures in each of our lives. We just ask that this last Sunday before Easter, this last week before Easter, we're still being inspired to look at our lives differently, look at the lives of those you love and suffered for so that we can just build compassion and humility and just a life that mirrors yours, bringing a piece of heaven on earth. We just thank you for that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, I think I'm going to start with a parable that I want you to think about. I was going to use it next week, and maybe I still will. Who cares? But um, uh, there's, uh, it's old, it's been retaught, and is in many different spiritual books that are out there. It's thought to have Islamic roots as its beginning. But there's a spiritual leader who is leaving his house and headed to um, his place of worship. But every day he sees this old woman crossing the street who carries in her one hand uh, a dish with fire and in the other a vessel of water. And he's always wondering what she's doing with this because every morning he sees her crossing the street with these things. So finally one day this spiritual leader stops her and he asks her, why, why are you carrying these? Where are you going? What are you doing with this? And she says to him, um, with the fire she is going to burn up heaven and with the water she is going to quench hell, that there might be no such thing anymore. And he asks her, why, why would you do that? Why would you want to quench hell and burn up heaven so there's no more thing like this anymore? And, he, and she answers him, because I want no one ever to do right for the sake of heaven, nor for the fear of hell, but simply for the love of God. There's just so much in this about this sense of motives or why we're doing things. And I think it's fascinating that this old parable that um, we're not even 100% sure the roots of it have shown up in so many different religious books and sacred texts along the years that the language used, this heaven and hell, seems to be uh, bounced back and forth between so many they feel the need of this like doing it out of the sake of love versus doing it for fear of something or to get the benefits of something else when i was a kid well and even now i'm still i'm there's four brothers i'm the oldest of four and so as you're growing up you you have this sense of wanting to garner the appreciation of your parents to do something where they're like oh my goodness i Especially if your brothers were in earshot or siblings, would you be like, I love you so much, that was amazing what you did for me. You're just like, oh, you heard that. They were talking about me, not you. In that moment, like, this is, this is me. I'm garnering the love of my parents. Um, not too long into it, I realized that uh, not just is praise amazing, I do not want to be the bottom one on the totem pole, the one who is getting, like, the what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What's going on? Um... Maybe through childhood, I ended up on the bottom of the totem pole for quite a long time. But then in my adult life, I have teased about this coasting ground where I know I'm not the bottom. And I know there's these glimpses, these rare glimpses of when I'm the one who is shining in the light of being the best child for either my mom or my dad. 
But I think there's something about this um, about this that's going to spell into what we're talking about today. And I think there's something worthwhile thinking about, whether it's our parents, whether it's God himself, and even still there would be traces of our actions that we're hoping that there's this pat on the back or there's something else in the things that we do so that uh, God loves us a little differently. Uh, but I want to start this morning in Mark 9. Um, and to anyone who's new this morning, this is kind of our setup. I'll try to talk for like 25 minutes is my goal today, but there's a lot of good notes. And then we'll discuss as a group and feel free to discuss or just be a fly on the wall. Um, we'll go to communion and we'll have some prayer circles at the end. Um, so in Mark 9, Jesus hears the disciples arguing, and he says to them, I heard you arguing along the way, and what were you arguing about? Verse 34 in Mark 9 says, The disciples looked at the floor and wouldn't answer, for they had just been arguing among themselves about who was the greatest of Jesus' disciples. He sat down with them, and he says, Whoever wants to be first must be last, and whoever wants to be the greatest must be servant of all. There's this uh, amazing situation we find ourselves in. We got the disciples trying to figure out who's on the top, uh, who's doing the best, whose responses must be what Jesus is looking for, whose way of loving people, whose way of following must mirror him the best, because then it, it tells each one of them, oh, Akua must be onto something, because Jesus just kind of gave that nod, like, we all know it's Akua. So if we're looking at this group, that's, that's probably, it's probably where we're looking at. So they're wanting this, and I think there's a sense in all of us of realizing that want, but then Jesus' greatness in his eyes isn't this one who's striving to look like the best or to be complimented to the best in someone else's eyes. It's not this the person who sees wonders done with their doing things or is able to perform miracles or is the best at fasting and prayer and all these religious rituals. Greatness is about humility and service, about not seeing yourself or trying to be seen as the best and about this life of service. Um, today is Palm Sunday. It is our Sunday before Easter. Uh, services around the world right now will have people with palm branches to represent this, uh, Jesus' great entrance into this city as he rides on a donkey. Not this stallion war horse. He picks this common servant animal that really is only good for pulling things, pushing things, just a work mule. This is his triumphant entrance to show up as servant of all. Today I want to talk about the discipline of service. I figured the Sunday right before Easter would be such a great way to finish our Lenten series. We've been looking at these uh, six weeks up to Lent, just um, not just why Jesus suffered, but who he suffered for, and asking ourselves tough questions and looking at situations differently to expand our perspective to include others, to see things differently, to, to see are we looking like we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. It's, there's these two seasons of the Christian calendar, the Advent where we're celebrating his birth, and then there is Easter where we're contemplating 
this season of fasting where we're, we're really looking, we're suffering, we're connecting with something greater and deeper. And I thought, what a way to finish this off right before Easter than to just talk about having this discipline of service. We go through disciplines here about every six weeks um, to give us something to practice that has been in Christian tradition for so long that these things, there's something to it, there's substance, there's root. To be honest, this discipline of service is one of those things that like, holds me on to there's something about being a follower of Jesus that's so beautiful. And I think, I hope I can portray it because I, I think that's why I'm going to struggle with keeping it at 25 minutes because I'm so passionate about so much of these details, yet there's so much stuff that doesn't usually get talked about in service. Like we'll, we'll talk about serving the poor, making clothes, and we end there, and this is a big piece of it. But there's so many more details that are part of this practice that I want us to look at together. Um, and again, six weeks till we tackle another one and figure it out. Our last one was fasting, and it was right before Lent to see what giving up something to change our perspective, to jar us out of where we're at, to be able to look at people or situations differently. Um, I want to read from Matthew 20 as well next. Jesus says, Do you want the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven, as he's always talking about, the here and the now, to be run like the Romans run their kingdom. Their rulers have great power over people, but the God the Father doesn't play by the Romans' rules. It says, this is the kingdom's logic. Whoever wants to become great must first take himself as a servant. Whoever wants to be first must bind himself as a slave, just as the Son of Man did, not to come, uh, not to, not, oh my goodness. Thank you. I'm also recording this for someone else. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's, there's so much going on here. Uh, we could do a message all about, do we want the kingdom to be run like the Romans run and govern things? Because there's so much hierarchy that slips into religion, and pretty soon we can take a step back and be like, oh, we're running things just like the Romans ran things. And is that what we want? And Jesus says, this isn't what we want to do. And he points to servant leadership. There's something in this service that we need to understand or we're not going to understand anything that he's talking about. Humility and service are greatness in the eyes of Jesus, the divine embodied in human flesh that we say his example was so inspiring and so great that we follow after that example. We put practices into place to try to look like him and service being such a great one. Whenever there's talk or trouble or conversation about who's the greatest, there's always, there always has to be conversation. Even if it's subtle, even if it's not being said, something is being said about who's the least then. Because once we start ranking, we're not just looking at who's the top. There's always a bottom as well. There's always the last place. If you're going to assign first place to someone, you're going to figure out who's last place. When I ran triathlon, that was my goal. I did not want to be the last place in my age group. Like, and seriously, I was like second to last so many times. We were like, that was like victory. You're like, I was not the last one. It was so great to, to not have to come in as the last in your area. We see this example in John 13. Jesus sits down for the Last Supper with his disciples. He's like, and they don't really realize it's the Last Supper. We get that insight into this hangout. He, called, he asked them to get this upper room ready. We're going to have this supper. We're going to hang out. They, they show up, and there's, there's a Jewish custom of washing the feet. 
They all have dirty feet, dirty sandals. They've been out and about. They all get there, and they're looking at each other. Like, and this is what we don't get from the story, is the custom. Like, someone has to wash the feet. This is a Jewish custom before eating. And it's always the last person on the list who does it, the lowest. And so it's like, who's going to say they're the lowest? It's like, I don't want to do it. Who? They're, they're figuring things out. And Jesus humbles himself and gets down on the towel and begins to wash their feet. There's something beautiful about us using this story today as well. This is our last time gathering together as a group before Easter Sunday, before we celebrate what he's done, we have this moment to look into this story of the Last Supper, this gathering, this last insight into what's going on before we can look even into the miracle of this, this life of resurrection, death turning something into life. And so Jesus grabs a towel and a basin of water and he redefines to us what greatness is, and what the kingdom of heaven is all about. But the interesting thing is that um, Peter right away is like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you kneeling down? He says, you will not wash my feet now or ever. And Jesus says to him, if I don't wash you, you will have nothing to do with me. There's something deeper that's going on here. He's like, if you don't get this, if you don't allow me to do this, you... You have no idea what being a part of me, following me, what this is about. If you don't allow me to be a servant, to Jesus to be servant. Remember this last verse? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself. And now he's with Peter. Peter's like, you can't, don't serve me. I'm here to serve you. And Jesus said, if you don't let me serve you, you don't understand what I'm all about. If Jesus isn't servant first, servant of all, not this great master who's looking for all of us to worship him, but the one who's come to wash feet, to bleed for someone, to do whatever. This needs to be understood by us. There's an amazing commentary in the voice translation that we have on this. It says, whenever there is pain or filth, there's an opportunity to extend God's kingdom through an expression of love or humility or of service. A simple act of washing feet is a metaphor for how the world looks like through the lens of Jesus and his grace. He sees the people of the world, the world he created, which he loves, and he also sees the corruption that torments this world and everyone. His mission is to cleanse those he loves from these horrors. This is his redemptive work with feet, with families, with disease, with famine, and with hearts. When Jesus sees disease, he sees an opportunity to heal. When he sees sin, he sees a chance to forgive and to redeem. When he sees dirty feet, he sees a chance to wash them. It's a metaphor for something more that's going on. So Jesus goes on. This is the next sentence in this passage. He says, do you understand what I've done to you? As he's washing their feet, he's like, you call me teacher and Lord, and truly this is who I am. But if your Lord and your teacher washes your feet, then you should wash one another's feet. And in verse 15, he says, I am your example, so keep doing what I do. I tell you the truth, a servant is no greater than his master, and those who are sent are not greater than the one who sends them. If you know these things, and if you put them into practice, you will find happiness. If you know these things and you put them into practice, you will find happiness. He says, no one is greater than their master. But the sentence before that, he says, if you don't let me serve you, you don't understand me at all. And so if we don't understand that our master that we're following in his footsteps is a servant first, then we don't understand who we're following. We can't really find a greatness. That happiness, that... that getting into this kingdom of heaven that he's talking about here and now, not 
the heavens somewhere else, like this opening parable we talked about, or not a fear of punishment if we screw up and he thinks we're doing it wrong. No, he seems to, Jesus seems to erase both of those things, just like that parable, which is amazing. He's like, it's not about some time a distant from now when you take your last breath, what you'll look like or what position you'll have. And it's not about being afraid of, of who's on top or who's on bottom. It's jumping in and being on bottom right away, being that one who's willing to get dirty and who's willing to wash the feet. He says, I'm your example. Please keep doing what I do. Um, there are so many great commentaries on these lines that start to talk about how difficult this, this call to be a servant is. Because we'd all love something more prestigious. We'd love to die in the name of Jesus or really be slandered in front of people. Like, we want something that looks a little brighter than the one who is just quietly serving, who's humble, who's... It, it, it kind of takes the spotlight off and, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, this? Really? This is, what you, this is the greatest? This is what you've called us to do? But there's liberty in this as well. At the same exact time, the discipline of service, there, there, there's some freedom here. It enables us to say no to the world's games of this promotion and authority and who's in the top and who's in the bottom and where do I fit into this. It gets rid of our need or desire for a pecking order because this freaking pecking order is everywhere. Everywhere we go. You walk into a group of people and two people start talking at the same time and watch which one keeps talking and which one takes the step back. And all of a sudden you start creating a, oh, this person must be more important than this person. Or who's the one introducing people or whatever. Like you start to see, you'll start to see it this next week. When I started studying this, I'm like, oh my God, this is way more. It's like the, the blue Jetta. You know, you get a new car and all of a sudden you see blue Jettas everywhere. When you start paying attention to these pecking orders, they're, they're everywhere in society. And whether you want to or not, we'd find ourselves taking our place in this. And Jesus is trying to wipe this out. There's something more to this, and this is, this, is, this is a Lenten, this is bringing us up to Easter, this difficult yet liberating thing of saying, if you're just willing to be on the bottom, there's no, you don't have to worry about the pecking order. If you're the one washing the feet, there's not people standing around being like, who's this going to be? How awkward would that be anytime we're in each other's homes? We're about to have dinner and we've got to figure out which one's going to wash everybody's feet because that's the, that's the ritual and we'd be breaking the law if we didn't do it, and so someone's got to be the one to bow down. And he says, in these weird situations where someone's got to be on the bottom and do the dirty work, he says, that's the one. That's the example I want you to take. That's the one I want you to grab and go for. So I want us to look at two different kinds of service this morning. Because we can have self-righteous service or we can have true service. Because there's one that seems to come out of this sense of my effort and it's going to benefit me. And this service that, like, I don't care about me. Something needs to be done. This comes from divine energy. This is inspired by God. There's something more happening among us that we're just following after and taking place in. Um, one's from deep relationship with God. One's from human effort. Um, this relationship with God, we serve out of, uh, I love how this one author put it, whispered promptings and divine urges. There's just something on the inside of us that says, help this person, do this. Take this task, wash this feet, do something about what's going on around us. Energy is expended, but it's not this frantic energy of the flesh or the selfishness or me trying to promote myself. It's energy that is in line with the divine energy. Something bigger is going on that I'm tapping into here. Uh, Self-righteous serving 
is impressed with making impressions and seeking applause or getting more points from what they're doing, showing everybody, look at where I'm serving and where I'm going and what's going on here, where this true service welcomes any opportunity to serve, whether it's seen or not, whether there's any points given. It's content to be hidden, to be on the sidelines, to have no one even know that you're doing this service for someone else. You know, this even gets to be a problem in our community because so many of you don't want to say where you're serving, that there's not an idea of where everyone's serving so we can come alongside you and serve with you. And so there's a balance here that we might have to get across, maybe even in discussion today. Um, This um, self-righteous service picks and chooses who to serve and how this decision is going to advantage them. Um, Self-righteous service is affected by moods or whims. It can only serve if there's a feeling to serve, or if they're moved by the Spirit of God. Uh, I hear so many times, I'll pray about that. That seems like a great opportunity. Like, You need to go home and, like, there's an opportunity to serve, are we going to take it or not? Or do we, do we need to be moved by this whim? I love this quote of Bonhoeffer. If one worries about the loss of time, that person is taking the importance of their own career too solemnly. It's like, oh, do I really have time to serve? This is our greatest call of Jesus in the eyes of these spiritual leaders who have gone before us, these great writers, these theologians, these people who inspire us with their words. There's something to this life of service. It's not just moods or whims, or am I feeling like I got enough sleep, or am I feeling like I'm okay, or, or what's going on? I had, a, I had a co-work the other day that's like, I'm trying to get my shift covered tomorrow. I'm like, oh, did something come up? You got, uh, we had fun the whole day. Everything seemed normal. No, I just get that, you know, you get that little feeling where I feel a little bit tired, and I bet I could get sick tomorrow, and I don't want to feel sick, so I'm just going to take it off now. And I'm like, are you fe- like, do you have a scratchy throat? Are you feeling? No, but I, you know when you just can know before that feeling comes, and I'm like, hypochondriac is, you know, like what? Like the feeling before the feeling? Like, okay, but I wonder how many times is that to us? Like, am I really in the mood to do this right now? Where this true service is, it's, it's this faithfully and, simple, and simply will serve because there's a need that is presented in front of them. It doesn't matter what it was or if this is my jam or I'm passionate about uh, the earth or child poverty or whatever. It's I saw a need and I could help with it, and I'm going to do something about it. It knows the feeling to serve can often be a hindrance in our life. Like, this might get in the way of something. You might be a few minutes late to someone's house. You might uh, financially be hindered. Um, true service is really a discipline, not a feeling. It's a way of life. Uh, it's a way to show that you're in control of your feelings and the things that your values are what's most important, not just the whims of how you're feeling today. There's something deeper that controls your motivations for what we're doing and why we're going at this. When we choose to be... When we choose to be a servant, we surrender the right to decide who and when we serve... We become available, we become vulnerable. Like we're deciding to pattern our life after the footsteps of Jesus. 
Now, a pause here, and I don't want us to get too much into this in discussion today because I, we are, we have, there's many of us that are devil's advocates here, and, and I'm going to give you a yes. This comes from a life of balance. If you're not taking care of you, you won't have energy to do this. But the problem is most of us will wait to start a service discipline until our life is in balance, and it's just not going to happen. Like, you've been telling yourself that for years. You just need to get into this and start seeing things more clearly and be like, okay, I just need some me time now. I gave something. I need some refresh time. And just start adding more of it. Let the refresh and the use filling you up come after you serve. Let this be backwards for a change. Like, yes, you need the energy before you do it again next time. But let's just actually start taking the, the step forward and try this and see what happens. Be like, ooh, I took too many steps forward. Now I got to... Couple, I gotta take some me time, and you need to figure out what that is for you. It's different for all of us, and it's probably not just binging Netflix. As much as I'd want that to be what it is, by the end of that, I'm just as tired as when I started. Um, so, life balance is a yes. We're not gonna discuss that later, unless it written. No, there's too many cool things we need to discuss. That is gonna be a distraction. The result of so much of this, though, more than anything else, humility is the result of what we're getting here. It's, it's worked into our lives in so many ways with this. It's like this death to ego and this birth to new and better and greater forms of humility and looking like Jesus over and over and over again, especially when it's like, oh, I don't feel quite right. And you're just like, no, it seems right, and I do it. There's something that changes on the inside of you when these things take place. Um, and it's one thing to act like a servant, and it's another thing to have a lifestyle of being a servant. There, It's... It's night and day difference between the two of these things. This service is how we embody the message of Jesus. This is how we live this out, and we, we, we take this into our hands. It's so much better to be the Bible than to preach the Bible to someone else, than to tell them a verse, than to just live this out and have it permeate everything we are. So I want to go through some types of service with you this morning because um, I think this is important to kind of broaden our perspective and how we're looking at these things, not to just narrow it down. Uh, simple service is kind of where we start. This is the one that's talked about the most, the one we think about the most. Uh, like Dorcas is a lady in Acts that, in the Bible, that talks about how she makes coats and garments for the widows and the children. She, she's, she's constantly making clothes for these, these widows and these kids. And it's mentioned in the Bible because of this, this kind of service. She sees a need and she's taking care of it. We see the poor, we're helping the poor. The Bible talks about the poor, the needy, the unfortunate so much more than almost anything else you see. And it's connected with time. It's connected with finances. It's being the hands and feet of Jesus. There's something here. We're called to be the salt of the earth, not the sugar of the earth. Salt is in every dish we find, whether it's sweet or not. But the we want to be the sugar sometimes. The sugar daddy, sugar mama, sugar something where it looks pretty, where it's fun, where we're doing something. It's, no, it's just, it needs to be sprinkled into everything. This this stuff is all around us. Um, it, and a lot of times it's found not in the big things, not in the Google search to find where it's... You're going to find these simple services in the tiny corners, in the ordinary parts in life. All of a sudden you're going to find a need that's there that needs to be done, that needs to be affected, that needs to be helped. That maybe isn't a sign-up list for or someone ready to get you into service, but we need a practice where we do that. Um, So many times our infatuation with it being a big deal or someone else organizing everything that we can just slip into so it's easy for us just blinds us from the fact of having a lifestyle of this. But this is just this is, this is the start. 
There's so many Sundays we've talked about this that I want to get not even past it like it's something insignificant. This is, is big and we can talk about this a lot, but I want to talk about some of the other ones. Active helpfulness is a really interesting one. And I'm going to go a lot from my notes because these are, this isn't me making this stuff up. These are passed down traditions in our Christian faith of how to have a service of discipline. Um, so this act of helpfulness is simple assistance in trifling and external matters. Like whatever's just going on in each other's life. Bonhoeffer says that this is the second most important discipline to have regarding your brothers and sisters that you're in community with, is to, to be there for just the, the mundane tasks of life, like the, the weird, simple things. Oh, you're going to pick up a couch? Like why, you probably need an extra set of hands to do that. Or you're going home to rake the leaves? Why don't I come and do that with you? Or it's just the simple, the weird, the... Uh, the, the everyday, this is, is just active helpfulness, being there for someone else. Um, the next is going to be the service of guarding the reputation of others. Um, it's so much better to say I'm practicing serving, the, guarding the reputation of others than to be coming down on yourself like, oh, I'm gossiping again, I'm doing something. I'm working hard on practicing guarding the reputation of others because for some reason lately I've been annoyed by people in my life, and I'll say things, I'm like, Luke, you're doing it again. Instead of being like, I'm invited to help guard them, I'm trying not to do something. And so this has been a really helpful phrase for me to help guard the reputation of, and not just friends or family, but even enemies and everyone around us. We're invited to protect everyone's reputation. This is what's great about Jesus, is when he's calling us to serve, it's not serve who you like or who you know, or who, it's serve every person you come across. The next one is the service of being served. There's so many of us. It's such a grace to let someone serve you, to do something nice for you, but we're so proud we won't let this happen. We, oh, no, 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 I'm really fine. Trust me. And you skip on giving someone a chance to serve you. And so this is an interesting one that's on this list. Um, the next is the service of common courtesy. This one is lost so much in today. The please, the thank yous, the opening doors for each other, the uh, greeting everybody. You come in contact with, with a, with a I'm interested, I'm, I, I, I want to greet you, I want to welcome you, I'm excited. These common courtesies are ways of living out a life of service. Uh, the service of hospitality. Um, and we, I mean, this is such a big one because it's, Paul and Peter talk about being important for being a spiritual leader in a community to have this example. Uh, um, this practice of hospitality just ungrudgingly to one another. Not because I owe you because I brought you into my house and gave you a dinner or a place to sleep, but this, this opening our homes. We need more Christians opening their homes, yes, to each other, but even to someone else, entering into conversation, finding out what's going on in each other's life. This, this is something that uh, is a discipline in itself, even found in this, this discipline of service, but we've talked about the discipline of hospitality even on its own because it's such an important piece to try to just ingrain into our lives. But so many times we make um, hospitality too complicated. We want the table to look too nice. We want the meal to be too big. We, we get so stressed out, and then we're like, oh, it's going to be a long time till we do that again Like because we went so far out there to impress someone that now it's not even sustainable. We can't even... This gets amazing when you can do it even when your floor hasn't been vacuumed or swept, even when it's a one-dish meal and it's not going to have any extra spice or exciting things. Or maybe it's the time when you sleep on the couch so someone can sleep in your bed because they needed a bed to sleep at nighttime. It doesn't have to be beautiful here. Um, 
The service of listening is the next one. This is the one actually that Bonhoeffer says is the number one important discipline to have when you're in community with one another is this, this ear to listen. And an ear to listen with not this excitement to give advice right away and trying to figure out your answer, but just to listen and just to be compassionate and just to give a hug and to, to be there for someone. This is something that's worth practicing, cultivating, having more of in our life. This compassion, this patience, um, the service of bearing with the burdens of each other is the last one. Weeping with those who weep. Celebrating with those when it's time to celebrate. There's something beautiful about when someone is going through something hard, just being there for them. It kind of goes into the listening. But the listening can be so much more. It can be hopes, dreams. Uh, this bearing with someone's burdens. If they're having a hard time, if winter has been down on them, it's taking them to the conservatory to see some sunlight coming through on green plants and smelling what vegetation smells like again. It's... It's when someone's parent dies, not just showing up for the funeral, but being there whenever they need you, bringing meals over, being so they can feel the weight of you lifting a piece of that burden away from you. Uh, but these are, as we can see, it's not just one type of service. This permeates all of our life. There's so much we can do and talk about here. Um, there's this prayer uh, I can't remember who it's by, but it's Jesus, as it would please you, bring me someone today whom I can serve. And what a prayer for each of us as we're coming into this week before Christmas as we, or before Easter, as we are practicing, as we're thinking about this, to, to jot this down, to think about it, to take a picture on our phone and have it show up as a reminder in the morning tomorrow. Like, just bring me somebody who I can serve today. This is something that we like to compartmentalize. Uh, oh, I've got a monthly time when I serve, and then we can shut it off, or I do something more than that. Or maybe it isn't compartmentalized enough for you. I think we're in two camps where it's either like, oh, I got my service. I show up once a month at the Goodwill and sort clothes and help people out. I checked my, my service box off, and so you're not thinking about it in everyday life. And then there's others of us who are like, oh, I'm waiting for the Spirit to inspire. And then we miss out on opportunities that, are, that need repetition, that need you showing up monthly or weekly and to have a practice that is about that. Part of our embraces as Bloom, our approach to ministry is embrace Jesus, embrace each other, and embrace community. They embrace the plight of the community around us, the needs, and to get involved, to jump in and do something about that. That's how we are the hands and feet. This is something that we're passionate about. This is the definition of our approach to church. And so if we come here, if we say we are Bloom, we're part of this cooperative of people that call themselves Bloom, yet we don't find a spot in our life to serve, we're really missing out on a third of what we call church is just missing and vacated from your life. And probably the most important one even, well, Jesus is going to get you there. I, but I mean, it's, you're going to see, I would say, I was thinking about more than even Sunday morning church. There's something about serving. We, we are inspired here, so we take this message outside of here. Not so just we keep showing up inspired here. Um, that was the two how to do this, we as a community, we need to be able to tell each other where we're serving and bring someone alongside of us. Or if we're going somewhere new, to invite someone with us from the community. It can be scary going into someplace brand new on yourself. And this is maybe this discipline, the, the simple one that, that is most familiar with us. But we need that in our lives, and we need to invite each other into this. Um, a parent, a friend, maybe even someone you're struggling with at work, like, go serve somewhere together. When you serve together, it breaks down so much 
division between one another and can mend hearts like nothing else. It's an amazing thing. And let's, let's practice this as a community together. Yes, we keep having quarterly opportunities to serve, and there's a new one coming up, and I hope I put it on a slide. I didn't, but it'll be a little farther down. There's a sign-up sheet at the back right now. April 21st is the next St. Paul cleanup day. Um, this is like washing the feet of our city. Like how beautiful it is to just go out and be like, yeah, we're picking up trash on the side of the streets in city parks together. It's from like 9 to 11. Some places donate donuts and coffee, but it's something we can do together. And so why not? Why not together be inspired by this and on a Saturday morning just start practicing, washing the feet of our city and see what's going on. Debbie said this morning, she is the one who got us coming the first time to this. Like it was her idea. Why are we not involved in this. And to be honest, the city does a horrible job of promoting it. I had never even heard of it until then or looked for it. It's not like I was going out of my way to look for opportunities to wash the feet of my city and keep it clean. Yet here it comes. And so the first time it was Jan and Debbie and me out with the rubber gloves on and, and picking up trash on the side of the street. And one, the next year after that, I think there was a family that used to live in the Twin Cities that came here, the Deckers, and their kids were there running around seeing who could get the most trash and fill up the bag the most. There's something precious about serving together with this. Uh, and now I'm getting excited about that and going on. So I'm going to pray and take this to discussion. Um, just help us to be open and honest. As we go into discussion, we just pray that any barriers or obstacles that are holding us back, we would be able to be freed from those, that we'd be inspired to say what's going on in our hearts so that we might have the opportunity to inspire someone else into the same service. We ask that this next week and these next days leading to Easter and beyond that you put people across our paths whom we can serve. In Jesus' name, amen.